Okay, but we're on track today, buddy. We are good to go. I have to, I will share this with you because it was just so cool. Um, about 10 years ago when I started prison ministry, um, there was a woman that was in there and she knew a lot of scripture, but she was really um, gruff and abrupt and you could tell she was just playing the game, you know. And um, she was there for um, a little over a year and then she left. She got out. Well, a couple years later, guess who shows up again? This time, she is a different person. She has a different heart and she is hungry for things of the Lord. She stayed with us for a while and, and she got sent upstate. And by then, she really had given her heart to the Lord. And it's, it was, anyway, I didn't see her again until uh, a year ago this August when she got out of state prison and she married this guy. He is a good guy. Um, truck driver. And um, so I went to the wedding. It was just a tiny little wedding and it was just precious but to be there, you know, to be part of it. And um, I haven't seen her since. She showed up at my door yesterday. She just called and said, or Friday. She said, I just want to come visit a minute. And um, she walked in the door and she is an ordained pastor. Oh my goodness. And she is ministering to the homeless. I'm going, wow, Lord, what a story. This woman had lived on the streets a long time herself and, you know, just hardcore. And here she is, an ordained pastor. And she and her husband um, were taking their truck and heading to Florida um, to Sweet help after bumps. the hurricanes. Yeah. Oh. And I thought, you know, it's just so awesome when you when you see stories like that. People's lives that really were, um, I mean, just snatched up out of the rivers of life and turned around. But when she came in, she said, Miss Sandy, I'm a pastor now. Oh, my gosh. That is a total miracle. You know, how God can, you know, you get discouraged with yourself, or at least I do, and you just think, how in the world can we, he use us? And then there it is. He just and she and she had so many Joseph moments. She was telling me about being at the state prison. We kept we wrote, but she didn't tell me a lot. But she got up there and she found such favor with the guards. She got involved with the Kairos prison ministry up there, and they allowed her because they would have like once a month they would have um, uh, Kairos. Um, uh, uh, just big meetings, you know, when they would train people and, and get fed and taught the word and what have you. All of the prison ministers, they let her go to every one of those. You know, great favor. Here she was. And by the end, she was helping to work in RHU, which is the lockdown, you know, really the hardcore cases. And there she was working with the guards in RHU. I'm thinking that was totally a Joseph thing. God just promoted her and promoted her and promoted her. And she said, when she walked out of that prison, she, they had paid her over $600. She had $600 in her pocket. And she said she didn't, you know, they pay you like 50 cents an hour when you work in the jail, just enough to get by. They had paid her abundantly for working in RHU and hundreds of dollars more than she ever thought she would have. And um, she was telling me all about that, and I thought, wow, that's just like Joseph. So blessed, even in the middle of that prison that they raised him up to, you know, to run the prison. I'm going, wow, 
What a good story. Tina's just, she's an awesome lady, but... I remember you telling us about her along the way. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And she's just... It's amazing how God will... Yes. Yeah. You know, you just you go, wow. In the middle of everything, that grace just flows. And if yeah. you're there in the flow, he is going to take you places. But um, I, I wanted to share that with you guys because I just, I, I know you put up with me a lot and I don't have a lot of good stories out of that. <laughs> but this was a happy story. So there you go. Oh, my. Okay, well, you know what? We're going to get back into Genesis. We're about to start. We're talking about getting ready to talk about the flood. And, you know, if you remember what I, what I have told you, the reason we're doing Genesis is because everything, God says, I tell the beginning, the end from the beginning. Everything in the Bible is old news. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes. You know, what happens in the end has been told from the beginning. So, when Jesus says in Matthew 24... It will be like the days of Noah. And he's talking about when, when he returns again. He says, it'll be like the days of Noah. Um, then we need to sit up and take notice. You know. But, I mean, it's not hard to see it. Um, so let's just start reading um, the first few verses of Genesis chapter 6. Um, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wise of all which they chose and the Lord said my spirit will not always strive with man for that he also is flesh yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years and there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bare children to them and the same became my Bible says mighty men but I'll give you the translation in a minute which were of old men of renown and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart and the Lord said I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repents me that I have made them so that's where the story starts it's not a very pretty picture here um in, in the beginning of that, God says, you know, my spirit's not always going to strive with men. But in the end, I'm giving them 120 years. Some people, I've heard the teaching, say that God's saying, well, you know, men can live up to 120 years. That that's their lifespan. But that's not at all what this meant. God's speaking about a timeline here. And he says, I, I'm going to give them 120 years. But after 120 years, I'm done. You know, it's over. And um, there's a really neat picture here of God when he says, I'm not always going to strive with man, um, of, of God wrestling within himself about his man, about his creation. Not that he was striving with man per se. So I wanted to read you some of the, um, the Jewish thinking on this. 
um, two contemporaries, uh, um, Aben Ezra, says it this way. The sense of the word strive is as a sword in a scabbard. It shall not always abide there, but it will be unsheathed and drawn out. And man shall not always live since he is corrupt and given to carnal lust. So there is the sense that if it gets bad enough, God's done. Um, we're seeing it with Noah. We'll see it again with Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we see those places and um, when you think about that and, and God telling the children of Israel, um, when you go in, you destroy everything. Don't leave a living person. Don't even leave the cattle. Just wipe it all out. Get it out of the promised land. Get it out. And you think, what a murderous God he is. But um, it's like I've told you before, the best example I can give you is this. Um, God's given us a body. And, and frankly, you just love everything about your body because whatever it is, you need it. Like your heart and your liver and your lungs and you know your hands and your feet. And I'm thinking my knees. I love, <laughs> I'm glad to get my knees back. Um, they're, they're important to us. But if a cancer gets in the body, if a cancer gets in the body, say in your lungs, you may have to take that lung out. You may have to do severe surgery, remove that lung in order to save the body. And what God was doing was severe surgery. He was removing the cancer to save the creation. And um, while the surgery was, in, especially in the cases of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, the surgery was... Um, massive and yet he saved mankind he saved the body he saved the body of creation the seeds of every plant was in the earth the reproductive abilities of the animals on the ark saved all the creatures that God had made um, eight people walked off that uh, ark alive and started over again um, so God saved the seeds of, of all of his creation but he did serious cancer surgery because the evil was so vile, so bad, so horrific. Um, so when I saw that, the sword in the scabbard, but it will not always abide there, I immediately thought of a, a scalpel, you know. You know, the scalpel's not always going to remain on the table. He is going to do the surgery. He is going to preserve his creation, but the surgery can be very severe, very horrific. You know, the next one is uh, Rabbi Jarkey, and he says, and this is his quote: "My spirit will not always contend within myself. There shall not always be contention within me con uh, concerning man, whether I will destroy him or have mercy on him. I'm at a point to punish him, since he is wholly carnal." And the last one, go go to First Peter chapter three. I'm 1 Peter chapter 3. This one, this one was written 1,500 years ago. This is from the Targum. This is Rabbi Jonathan. Um, okay, 1 Peter chapter 3. Start with verse um, 12. 
The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We're going to find out that Noah, the whole time he's building the ark, was ready to give that answer with meekness and fear. He was a preacher of the gospel. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evil doers, as of evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. This is a picture of Jesus after he dies. He goes into the upper regions of hell, and the word preach there is not right. Because the people that are in prison in, in hell are not coming out. Period. But he went and declared what God had done to them. So that they knew God was just. And that's what was going on there. Okay, which sometimes were disobedience when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he went in to the, uh, to the upper regions of hell where everybody's being held, um, Sheol, and, and announced to them what he had done. They're, they're not coming out. But he declared what God had done so they knew God was just. Okay. It, it wasn't the, the top region of hell, which is Abraham. Abraham's bosom. But it was the upper region of hell, hell, I should say. Sheol. Nobody's coming out of there. They're just being held there. Waiting on the judgment day. Is it true that he went into Abraham's bosom and preached salvation to them and took all of them with well, him, right? Well, he just opened the doors of Abraham's bosom and, and took them with him, them right. Heaven. Okay. Yeah. So there are but two the, different places he was. Right. I thought it was just one place. Well, he so eventually had to go into Sheol because that's where sin was paid for. Okay. But while he was in Sheol, he that's declared. where he declared what God had done. And um, telling them, declared to them that God was a just God and that they're there because they rejected everything that God offered them all those years you know and the sad thing is and we talked about this before Noah's family I mean all the way back to Melimic and Methuselah Enoch was the one that the first one ever raptured you know and that whole line was covenant they understood the blood covenant they were in in relationship with God but then the family just dissolved and they rejected God just out of hand rejected him when they knew better they knew of covenant and rejected covenant and so they were gone any of them could have gotten on the ark with Noah any of them but none of them did and so 
Jesus just declared to them what God had done so they know that they are justly judged you know um, that word preach is not a good word it's declared to them you know what what had happened uh, but not preaches and salvation to them so anyway what Peter's talking about is in this last day we're always going to be righteousness is always going to be an affront to evil it just always is and we're going to be preaching, but not everybody's going to receive it. There's all, there are always going to be those people as in Noah's day. But what Peter's saying is, is get on the ark. For Pete's sake, you know, get on the ark. Well, the ark for us, the, the ark of, of the Old Testament is the ark of the covenant, who is Jesus Christ. When you get, when you enter into Jesus and He's in you, before this last judgment hits, we're going to be lifted up above it. You know, Jesus is going to come and He's going to lift the church above the judgment. And we'll remain above the judgment until it's done and then we'll be set back down on earth again. We'll come back. And Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. So, so what P Peter's saying here is get on the ark in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. If you suffer at the hands of evil people who are going to revile you and say ugly things about you, better that you get reviled and have ugly things said about you for being righteous than for not righteous. You know. But don't be like the people in the days of Noah who all ended up in, in hell and Jesus, after he died, went in there and told them what was done, but it's too late. So that's what he was saying. He said, you, you, um, you need to be in Christ Jesus. And um, that's what he's talking about in this last thing, the baptism. The water is a type of baptism. And Noah, you know, was in the flood, but he was above the flood. And you and I are baptized into Christ Jesus, you know, and that raises us above the evil and the, um, and the judgment in the earth. So there are great parallels there, and we're going to look at some more of them later, but... Um, just so you know, and, and 1,500 years ago, Rabbi Jonathan was writing almost the same thing, and he didn't have, you know, New Testament. He's a, he was a Hebrew scholar, so he had the Old Testament. But it's the same revelation. To me, it says it's the same Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. The Spirit of God, which had been litigating and reasoning the point, as men do in a court of adjudicature, as the word signifies, with these men in court and at the bar of their own consciences, by one providence or by one minister or another. So he's saying, God has been arguing the case before men, as in a, a court of law, and he's done it by preachers, he's done it by prophets, he's done it by their own consciences. He has been arguing the case for following him all these years. Okay? Particularly by Noah, a preacher of righteousness, but in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, he determines to proceed no longer in this way, but pass and execute the sentence of condemnation on them. And, that's, and that is repeated and repeated. Look at Israel. I think about them. Here they are in the promised land. They have had everything in the world that God could give them, given to them. And what did they do? They went off and started worshiping other gods. It got so bad that they were <clears throat> offering their children in the fire to Baal. 
you know, killing their children to bail. And, and here they are, just like in Noah's day, children of covenant. They knew the God of covenant. They, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet. Isaiah, you know, screaming at them. <clears throat> almost a hundred years before they were taken into exile. And they never listened. The few that were left, the remnant that were left behind, um, were the ones that were saved out of that. But Assyria came and wiped northern Israel out. And they didn't come back until May um, 14th of 1948. They were wiped out for, for 2,000 years. But God warned them and warned them and warned them. And um, it did no good. And so it, it re history repeats itself, repeats itself, repeats itself. And um, Judah was the same way. Judah saw it, northern Israel wiped out. Now you think that would they would get it, wouldn't you? Plus they had all of Isaiah's prophecies. They had Jeremiah. They had <coughs> Ezekiel. They had all these prophets speaking to them, speaking to them, warning them, telling them what was going to happen. And here comes Babylon and wipes them out. And um, then they're going, whoa, what happened? You know, but then when they, you know, when they look back, they begin to repent, but it's too late. It's too late. Seventy years Judah was in captivity until Darius brought him out. Praise God for Darius, who was a godless man. This is what we were talking about. You know, we're looking at these elections coming up. But God uses all kinds of people. And Darius was a ruthless murderer of a man. Um, he was a Mede Persian. And um, uh, and yet God used him to restore Israel to their land. You know, they were still under the rule of the Persians, but to be able to build their temple and to build their city back up, um, you know, those are the chapters of Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther, and um, um, but all those godless men were used to restore what was lost to them. God can use anybody. So, you know, just trust the Lord this time. <laughs> okay. Um, so God gave them 120 years. Now, if you're looking at the timeline, age-wise, date-wise, um, when God was speaking to himself in the first part of, of Genesis 6, he said, I'm giving them 120 years. Well, by the time he spoke to Noah, it was 110 years until the flood. So we know that for at least 10 years there, God was debating within himself. You know, what do we do? What, what do I do? Um, you know, how, how can I let this go on? Because it will destroy the entire world. It will. There will be nothing left in my creation if this continues. And um, so in his own mercy, he literally um, decides to, um, to take them out. So let's look at the condition of the men and why God took them out. Um, back to Genesis 6. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Okay, there were giants in the land. The word for giants there is Nephilim in the Hebrew. Not that it's all that important. 
But it literally, it doesn't mean in size, although they could have been large guys, but this is not the word that means large, like Goliath large. But it literally means they're tyrants, overwhelming and bullying, intimidating and smiting and slaying and throwing down. So it's a, it's a picture of, of a dominating spirits, these men that would you know, conquer and crush people and intimidate and um, and these men, these giants were in the earth prior to the sons of God taking the sons of men. I mean the daughters of men. Um, but after the mating of the sons of God and the daughters of men, another group was born. Um, so let's just keep reading. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, of renown. That sounds really nice. But the word mighty there is kibor, which really does mean gigantic. Huge, massive, powerful warriors, oppressive and fearful with a supernatural strength. Uh, John Gill says they were men of unimaginable wickedness. <clears throat> and it's interesting, um, just looking at the history, um, even like Greek writers and, and Roman writers have written stories about these men of the day and they talk about them being giants with superhuman strength who warred in the earth and fought against the gods and they were the titans I bet all you've heard the word titans but the titans were these gigantic superhuman super uh, natural strength warriors and um um, so historians believe that this is a reflection of what was truly going on in the day of Noah. That it, you know, it, what actually happens in the days of Noah becomes myth and legend in other cultures. However, and this is important, there's not a culture in the world, across the globe, in any place that doesn't have a flood story. It's there in every culture, the flood story. It's, it is the one story that's universal. And I think, alright, that was handed down from Noah to his kids. So, there were just men who were so vile and evil and, and tyrannical and then these gigantic warrior types that destroyed everything in their path. And God says it, every imagination of the thoughts of men was evil continually and that evil the word evil there is also the word for curse or raw or raw I'm sorry and it literally means distress and harm and misery and sorrow and trouble everything they thought of was continually that and it's not hard to think about today I mean really if you think about today and you think about the minds of men and what they, what they think, you know. I mean, look at ISIS. Not, not just beheading people, but burning them alive. And the most horrific murders you can think of. Just murderous, bloody people. 
growing acid on women and children. Yes, you know, and and you think about that overwhelming, intimidating, smiting, and slaying people. If that's not what it looked like in the days of Noah, I don't know what it would, you know. Um, it, there are just so many things that parallel here. When you start to think about it, it's like reading the newspaper. And then verse 6 and 7 come. Um, verse 6 is really cool. The word here for repented is so neat. God saw... Um, no, let's see. And verse six, and it repented the Lord that He had made him in the made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. Two words. The first word is repented. It's not the same word that we think of. Change the way you think. It is the it is the word naham, which means to just breathe this strong breath out. Like I give up. I've regretted. You know, I, I have settled my mind, but it breaks my heart. So it's that picture of God heaving this great sigh of sadness. The grief there is sadness and pain um, and vexation. But I thought, I love that picture of the word repent, where he's just breathing out. I give up. This is it. I can't do anything else. I have to get this out of my creation. I have to start again. Um, so when you think of God as a God of love and a God that's good, can you imagine the horror of, of what he's about to do and how, how he felt doing it? Um, so in his great mercy, like I said earlier, he removed every cancerous cell from creation, man, animal, and plant. But he saved the transplant to replace what was wiped out and Noah and his family were the transplant and everything inside the ark the seed that were saved and of course you know the seed were, were preserved in the ground anyway um, the flood doesn't wipe out the vegetation it just you know the seeds of that vegetation the roots of that vegetation remain but um, yeah but all of the transplant was in the ark including the animals um, so let's just look at today a minute. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Go to 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read this one in the Amplified. This is my favorite. Yeah. This is so, yeah. It's so relevant. Second Timothy 3, start with verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days will come perilous times of great stress and trouble. I mean, I just read an article the other day about how much of society is consumed with stress. And one of the reasons we keep asking why is cancer so rampant in our society, this article, this medical article was saying stress. Stress reduces your immune system. People are sicker. Cancer is rampant, and it's because of the stress, because of the times, the peril of the times. And that's why. And I thought, I know this doctor's not speaking from a biblical standpoint, but he was. He really was. And um, you know, we think, boy, the enemy is just really working hard. And he is. But the stress of it, 
the stress of just life in general reduces that immune system and um, then you're just wide open to anything, you know. So that's why the peace that passes understanding is so important for us. You know, that, that's, where our, that's, that's where our rock is. That's where our anchor is. It's that peace. Okay, verse 2. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. Lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth. Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They'll be abusive, blasphemers, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy and profane. They will be without natural affection, relentless, admitting of no truth or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. They'll be treacherous, betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They'll be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety, of religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid such people. Turn away from them. And our churches are full of it. And that's one of the reasons that the Methodist church is, is really on the verge of splitting. You know, that's that's the deal. Um, and, and we have to turn away from that heart. Because that's not God's heart. Um... The other part of that statement is just that um, they're ever studying, ever learning, but never coming to the truth. Ever learning and never coming to the truth. You know, they're, they're full of all kinds of worldly information, but they never come to the truth because they don't, they don't study the truth. You know, they don't allow God to show them that truth. And now look at Matthew 24. Find Matthew 24 and then stick your finger in Matthew 7. We'll go there next. But do Matthew 24 right now. And then we'll go to Matthew um, 7. What verse? Um, we're going to start with verse 37. And here it is. This is a picture of being lifted up in the ark. The, the disciples have just asked him, you know, how are we going to know the signs of your coming, your second coming? When are you going to come and set up your kingdom in the earth? And um, we already talked about one of the big signs was that nation would rise against nation. That's ethnic group against ethnic group. And then kingdom against kingdom. Government against government. And boy, is that happening everywhere. Then there will be um, famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, a multiplication of it. A multiplication of sickness and disease. A multiplication of natural disasters. But it isn't global warming. Okay. I'm just saying. These are the signs that mark the coming of the Lord. Not I mean, that's... Warming. Yeah. 
Right. Okay, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and it took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this coming is when He comes in the sky. He's never going to put His foot down here. This is when the groom comes from the bride, for the bride. And the trumpets will sound and the bride will be taken up. Okay, the bride will be taken up. Rapture. The rapture, right. Um... Verse 40. Then two shall be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. And women shall be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man will come. Okay, this is a picture of, you know, the wedding process um, in ancient Israel. When um, the vows are spoken, when, um, right at the beginning, when the young man comes to ask the father for the daughter's hand. And the father sets the bride price. And the son uh, and his future son-in-law accepts the, the challenge to meet that bride price. It's usually very expensive. Because the dad knows whatever, whenever you pay a lot for something, you treasure it. So the bride price is very high. For us, it was his life on the cross. And then he drinks of the cup of covenant right there. And then they bring the young woman in and, and she's asked, do you want to marry this man? Well, for most women of the day who were n- no more important than the cattle, that's, that was their place. Um, for a man to desire to make her his bride, that, that is the first time in her life she had worth. That he was willing to pay a a bride price that was expensive. That's the first time in her life she was worth, she had value. And of course she would say yes. And then she would drink of that cup. And then the young man would say, okay, you stay. I'm going home and I'm going to build a room on my father's house. I'm going to make it beautiful. And when my dad says that it's perfect and the time is right, then I can come back and get you. I don't know when that will be. Only the father knows. Only my dad knows. But I'll be back to get you. And they are legally married at that point. And she's waiting and waiting for him to come, looking and anticipating and planning, building her, you know, her dad, her, um, her, her home, yeah, you know, her dowry, everything that she needs to, to build her home and, and planning and learning all kinds of things about being a good wife. And, and, and while she's waiting, she doesn't know when he's coming back, neither does the son. 
but the dad watches the house going up or the room on the house going up and when the dad says now it's perfect son you can go get your bride he <clears throat> takes his groomman and he goes out now the, the, the bride will never know the exact day but somehow there's always a hint dropped that he's coming soon so she gathers her bridesmaids and they sleep together every night in the house waiting in anticipation for the groom to come so so when the dad says okay go get her then the groom and his groomsmen go and then the, the bride and his wife are scooped up in the night just scooped up because that's so romantic that's the reason they do it because every girl wants to be just swooped up by her lover right and so <clears throat> the bride is scooped up and taken away to the father's house <clears throat> and then he the, the groom and the bride go into the bride room where they shut the door and they're there for seven full days the door is not open for seven full days the family gets together and for those seven days they party and they celebrate and they, and they rejoice in what's going on and then at the end of the seventh day when the marriage has been consummated and everything the bride and groom come out and then there's the big feast and then the bride and his groom usually go through the town and um, it may be that the groom even has another home somewhere for them to go and live they're not going to stay in their dad's house but just for the wedding they stay at his house but they come through the town so that everybody knows who the bride is because it's all been a mystery except for the families and um, this is that picture Jesus, um, you know, and John he's telling his disciples at the beginning of the last supper he said, you know in my dad's house there are many mansions but I'm going to prepare a place for you and he's speaking to those twelve but they're the seed of the church that's the seed of the church so he's speaking to his bride and he says, I don't know when I'll be back but I will be back for you and so you have to be ready I'll send a hint or two but, but we won't know the exact day and so Jesus <clears throat> the groom here is saying this is what it's going to look like this will give you a hint so you can start looking for me you can invite the bridesmaids in and get your gown on the bride would even sleep in her dress you know for fear that she would miss the call she would sleep with her white gown on and her veil and you know all she would have to do when she heard the trumpet is get the curlers out of her hair and put on a little makeup brush your and brush your teeth <laughs> and then she was on her way you know that's why they had to have the lamps because they would go out in the night to meet the, the groom and um so here's the picture. He says, it's going to be like the days of Noah when I come back. But I'm going to lift my bride up. I'm the ark now. And if you're in me, then you're going to be lifted up above the judgment that's going to come on the earth. People who are not waiting. People who are scoffers. People who <clears throat> fit 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know. And interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, these people are among you. They sit in church with you on Sunday morning. You go, whoa, that's weird. But let me show you something. I heard it said one time, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, a car can be parked in a garage for years and it will never be a garage. So a person can be parked in a, a church for 20, 30, 40 years and never be part of the church, never become the church. So um, there are a lot of people like that. Now look at Matthew 7. I'm going to show it to you. 
And that's why this story of Noah is so important. Noah just preached his heart out. He kept saying, I'm building this ark. Look at this ark. This ark was so big. It was a football field and a half long. I start measuring everything in football fields this time of year. <laughs> but it's all right. It's an important measurement. You know? <laughs> and sometimes that 100 yards gets a little longer than originally planned, I think. But it's a football field and a half long. Can you imagine a man and his sons building that? And, and 75 feet high. It wasn't a little thing. I really want to go to Kentucky and see the Oh, one. me too. Oh, I really do. My brother just got back and he said it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so, you know, you think about that and you go, wow, that is a man of faith. No wonder God could do business with him. He certainly wasn't a perfect man because as soon as he got the grapes growing, he got drunk as a skunk, you know, and fell over. And um, So he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man of faith. He trusted God enough to preach for 110 years and build that crazy ark, you know, when they didn't really know what flooding was. Okay, <clears throat> look at verse 21. Uh, Matthew 7, 21. Jesus is speaking again. It's red letters. Always anything in red letters. It's important. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, but Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name have we not cast out devils? In your name have we not done many wonderful works? Sounds like church members to me. You know, didn't we get on every committee in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Fundraise, didn't we do that in your name? You know, but Jesus says, uh-uh. Just because you call me Lord with your mouth and just because you got on all those committees doesn't mean that I'm going to recognize you. And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man which built his house on the rock. There it is, Noah's house on the rock. And the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on the house and it fell not for it was founded on the rock. And there's that picture. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's the people who have the right heart and the, and the faith that... God, God says it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You have to, one, believe that He is. And two, that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. That pleases Him. Um, and, and really, Jesus said, that's the work that we have is to love God. To love God. That's really the work that we're called to to be faithful to Him. And if you love Him, obedience is easy. It's, it's response to His love, not requirement and responsibility. You what know? is this church over here on the corner? That Episcopal church? Yes. used to be. Is it still Episcopal or did it go Anglican? No, it's still Episcopal. It's Episcopal. Well, a couple years ago when I was in New York, I was involved in many churches, but uh, on, on the Christian day, uh, 
there was so much going on, and I went to the to the Episcopal Church mm -hmm. just for just for a change. Mm -hmm. I was shocked. I was really shocked. You talk about liberal. Yeah. How how New York is liberal. But uh, Off the you charts. see, they were claiming Lord, Lord. Yes. But but they weren't. They weren't loving God. They didn't know I God. Get right. over. And that's one reason that I, church I, I split wide open. Back. I never yeah. went back. That's why the people that love God, that really called Him Lord, Lord, went with the Anglican Church. And that church split wide open here not too many years ago. Yeah. Um, because it came to that point where people were saying, Lord, Lord, but it was a form of religion, but denying the power thereof. Yeah. And those who acknowledge the power thereof don't find religion, they find relationship. Yes. And when you yes. find the relationship, God says, I know you. Mm -hmm. I know you. And um, so I, I kind of cringe when people talk about Christianity as a religion. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, relationship. It, it's a relationship. Yeah. It, it's different. You know, it's different. Um, religion is men jumping through hoops to please God. But but for us, God jumped through the most horrific hoop to, to bless us. Big difference, you know. Big difference. So that he could be with us. So, um... Even in this coming in this coming judgment, this seven year judgment, when the church is taken up out of the way, there's going to be a remnant of people who will come to be believers in the tribulation. And God will preserve them. Um, the Jewish people, um, it's kind of believed that there will be a remnant of the Jewish people who, while they don't believe in Jesus right now, they are still looking for Messiah. By faith, they are looking for Messiah. They are covenant Jews. And they have a special place in God's heart. And um, He's going to preserve them. Um, what was the name of the, the city in the desert out there that Oh, it's in Indiana Jones. You know that the up that goes up into the mountain. Oh, come on. Somebody's got to have that. What's the name of that? Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, it's it's believed that that is the place where God is going to take them. There's a description of going between two mountains and going into this place where they're preserved um, because flooding this desert evidently instantly floods. But the way this... <clears throat> The way that the city was built on the side of this mountain, <clears throat> it has such a, a an amazing underground ductwork that when the floods would come, that's the reason the city is preserved, is because it would drain the floods. It, it would not flood that city. Oh, I'll think of it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's the name? The city in the Crescent. In the, in the Crescent. Um, oh, my gosh. What is the name of that? Oh, I'm so disgusted with me. Right. Two o'clock in the morning. It will pop in there. I know it. It just happens. Okay. So, well, she's Googling that. <laughs> Petra? Petra. That's it. Petra. Petra. Don't know. Ask Google. the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> if you read about Petra, you, you'll find out. But, you know, the, there's in Revelations, it talks about him preserving that there's a city in the desert where they'll be preserved and protected. So, even after judgment, and most of the populations of the world are wiped out, 
the church and Jesus are going to return. He's going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. He's going to finish the job because um, there are several battles that have to take place in Moab and Ammon, but it will end up in, in the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, yes. the Valley of Megiddo, where the final battle will take place. And everybody that ain't supposed to be there will be gone. And um, then Jesus is going to rebuild the world. You and I will be, by that time, supernatural creatures. And we're going to rule and reign with him. I don't know where we'll be, what we'll be doing, but we're not going to be sitting on a cloud. We have work to do. And uh, for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign in the earth. But there will be a seed of humanity saved. The whole earth is not going to be wiped out. And then he'll rule for a thousand years. And during that thousand years, the, the age of men will go back to the days of Noah. You know, and and in Isaiah it says, if you if you had died a hundred in that day, then you know that sin's at the door of your life. You know, children will be a hundred. You know, before you can blink, and they'll still be children at a hundred. And um, so things will be restored um, as before the days of Noah. The devil will be locked up, so there will be peace in the earth, and and uh, the, and Eden will be restored. The Garden of Eden will be restored for a while, for a time, for a thousand years. So, you know, just exactly the same picture here. God's not fooled. He knows who has a relationship with him. He knows who's intimate with him. And he knows who's putting on a show. Show folks don't get in. And there are going to be a lot of surprised church people when Jesus comes and takes the bride home. There are going to be a lot of shocked people. Um... If you've watched any of those movies, um, they pretty well portray it. You know, what, what's going to happen. Um, and there are a lot of them out there now. Have you noticed? I mean, tons of movies um, out there about the Revelation Road and then, um, you know, Tim LaHaye's books that were put into movies. And, um, I mean, just, oh my goodness. Um, it's amazing how people are talking about it. And, and God's using it all, you know, just like like he said, he's going to preach to you through your conscience, through prophets, through storytelling, through whatever he can use to get to you. But even at that, Noah and his family were the only ones that were saved out of the judgment. It's just amazing, isn't it? That is interesting. I've never thought of it that way. I thought it was just Noah and his family, period. But he did preach for 110 years. Yes, to he change, did. Change. Thousands and thousands of people, right. And so yeah. anybody could have gotten on that ark. That's anybody could have. You know, I mean, you think of the hundreds of years between Seth and the flood, there, were, there would literally be millions of people. I mean, if you think about it, 70 people went into Egypt. Uh, you know, um, Israel's family, Jacob's family, went into Egypt. Seventy people. Four hundred thirty years later, three hundred million plus mm -hmm. came out of Egypt. So, how hard would it be to think that in a thousand years, the family of no of uh, Seth would have multiplied? The you know, just Seth's family. But I mean, you still had Cain's family multiplying too, like crazy. And um, so, how many millions of people would there be? Mm you know, in a thousand years. Um, so there would have been millions of people. Millions of people. And nobody was listening to no. Out of millions of people, eight people got on that. Yeah. On that ark. Wow. So, you know, just, yeah. Be sure you're ready to get on the ark. That's all I'm saying. Get your backpack. 
put on your wedding gown. <laughs> you know, when you get when you're clothed in the righteousness of God, you you got on your wedding gown. So just be ready, and then whenever he comes, he comes. But you know, the times are getting close. We're getting to the end of the six thousandth year, whether you go by the Hebrew calendar or whatever. That's um, the six thousandth year of history, and and prophecy says a day is a is a, is is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So there were seven days of creation. There are seven thousand years that mankind has a lease on the earth. So we're almost to the end of the six thousandth year, and on the seven thousandth year, that was the day of rest. That was you know God rested on the seventh day, and that will be the day that Jesus sits down on the throne for a thousand years. That seven thousandth millennium is the day of rest for the earth and then God's going to come back and redo everything you know we'll just get a new makeover and then then it'll be awesome from there it'll be a whole new deal but um, everything starting with the story of Noah is retold and retold and retold so it's pretty awesome when you you know when you think of where we are in history um, you know we're not in the middle ages we, we're, we're born right now for a time for a season and there's a reason we're here at this time and at this season and um, so now we just look up because our redemption's going now mm. you know that's just where we are so praise the Lord Amen. and they said the generation that sees um, you know that, that sees all those things coming to pass Israel after 2,000 years of not having their own homeland becoming a nation again after 2,000 years. The restoration of a language that had been dead for 2,000 years completely restored. Only language in the history of mankind that's ever been restored. When you see all of the prophecies, these signs coming in line, ethnic group against ethnic group, government against government. And we've had world wars before up until World War II. But Israel wasn't a nation in World War II. And it's but that generation that we'll see in time. That's right. That's right. Which is us. That's right. That's right. So, you know, we're in a special place in the timeline, which is really good. I mean, it's a cool place to be. So, um, we're in an exciting time. So, all right, we're going to quit right here because, you know, and then we'll start talking about Noah and what he's like and what he had to do and all That's that when next you were time. saying about Joyce Meyer always says, I can sit in a garage all day and that will never make me a car. There you go. Because she, <laughs> she likens it to. That's exactly you know, right. People filling pews in churches. That's like, right. Yeah. We have to be fruit inspectors. There has to be fruit that goes along That's right. with sitting in a That's church. That's right. You can't just sit in there or because your mom or your grandmama was a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Right. You know, you, you have to do something about that. Every person has to make that decision. And here, and we have. You know, here we here we are, um, digging in the words, seeking it out, mm-hmm. living a life that you know where we're pressing in. God knows that, you know, and um, He's very happy with that. Let me just tell you. He lets you know it. He feels. He right. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you you're exactly and right. And, and, and your scripture. Yeah, no, He's so faithful. He is so faithful. I know it. I had one more little cool thing. I am, you know, I was getting well from my knees, then we had that terrible wreck. I'm going, what is going on here? You know, why? Why the wreck? And um, I never doubted that God was in the middle of it. But there was a precious woman who just came out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere. And, um, man, she, she held my hand and she was 
I know she was my lifeline. That's all I can tell you. She just was kind and gentle. And, and um, while she couldn't get to me, she gave my phone number, or her phone number to a friend of mine that was there so I could call her. <laughs> and I looked at that phone number the other day. I've called her several times, but I just never thought about the phone number. But it's 977. Mm -hmm. Nine is God's number three times. So that's God perfected. Seven, seven. That's the double completion of God. So it's 977. Then it's 777, which is total and utter completeness of God, spiritual and physical. And then two, which is unity. I thought, holy cow, look at that. Just the numbers in our phone number. And it just, it took this long for me to pay attention to the number to see it. You know, but I said, God was telling me all along, I'm right in the middle of this. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. But there was that number, you know, and I thought, whoa, thank you, Jesus. So even, you know, even in little things, you know, he's, he's there. He's working. And you may not even see it for weeks. Like, I didn't see it for weeks, but I there it was. Same feeling when Jeremiah had that knee incident. Yeah. Had to have that surgery, and you know. So they roll him in, and he's bed number three. Wow. There's a big three above his head on the wall. And thank you, just, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And then Little Julie things. Sproles was his anesthetist. There you go. How does that happen? I don't know, but that was a but God gift. But it is gift. such a God Oh, thing. Yeah. yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, even in the middle of the biggest messes, and God can't control what people do. He can't control crazy people on the highway. If they're not listening to him, he just mm -hmm. can't. But in the middle of it, in the middle of, of all the turmoil they cause... He leaves us breathless. He leaves you, yeah, he leaves you signs to let you know that he's right in the middle of it. And you just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's just pray a minute. Lord, I, I just speak blessings over every person here, over our children, our children's children, Lord, that we're blessing our going out and blessing our coming in, blessing our lying down and blessing our rising up, Father, that we um, are blessing the things that we set our hands to. And, Father, I ask that you use us this week to be a blessing to others. Open doors for us so that we can share and minister um, your love to other people. And, Father, I just want to praise you and thank you for um, for taking care of people in the in this hurricane, Lord. And I ask that you restore all things lost to people. That you would um, send your people into that um, area to minister your love and your compassion to people, um, not the world's way, but your way, Father. And um, Jesus, I just ask that you be Lord over every bit of it, everything. And um, Satan, I just speak to you right now. You are bound. You cannot steal from people. You cannot kill and destroy here. Whatever you have tried to take, God's going to repay sevenfold in Jesus' name. And we just thank you for it, Father. Thank you. Amen.